rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. All right. So after the pretty intense week last week in the X Files, we have a pair of episodes which I think, charitably speaking, are not the best. I liked Pusher. I I like Pusher too, but the problem with Pusher is that it doesn't really have an ending. It just stops. And, you know, it was written by Vince Gilligan. Yeah. Uh, We talked about him way back in the second season with Soft Light, which was the first episode of The X-Files that he wrote. Uh, And, and, you know, as I said at that time, he he becomes a pretty influential force on the writing staff of The X-Files. But this episode... You're you're waiting. (laughs) I'm waiting, too. Yeah, Um, I mean, I I think if Breaking Bad were not a thing, I would not have noticed who wrote this, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that it's it's a pretty good episode. I think it does some things which show you where Vince Gilligan's interest with the X-Files lie, but at the end of the day, the episode ends because it has to end, because it hit the 44-minute mark, and it doesn't really convince me that it could not have ended 20 minutes earlier it it literally ends with uh skelly essentially saying well we're out of time so let's leave and they leave and that's it yeah and i mean okay charitably speaking perhaps that is vince gilligan's commentary on the structure of network television i don't know but it's not satisfying if or it is interesting like, like at some point a story has to be resolved or you or you have a two-parter i mean that's that's how endings work. It's not just the structure of television. It's the structure of everything, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if you had, you know, you see this now with streaming services and, and how television shows or television episodes don't need to conform to any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of time constraint, they, they, they can be as long as they want to be. And, of course, you saw that, of course, with shows like um, on HBO and stuff. That's been going on for, for 20 years. But they still have to end at some point. Yeah. And it's, I mean, one of the things with Vince Gilligan, I think is that what I, what I see in pusher is that he wants to be Darren Morgan mm. and he's not Darren Morgan. Like he's not able to, uh, come up with sort of, you know, tranching criticisms of the structures of network television or the ways in which the X-Files tells its stories because, I don't think I mean Vince Gilligan might be interested in that sort of criticism but I don't think he's good at it. And yeah. I think once he realizes he's not really good at that his episodes of the X-Files get much better, which you'll see in the fourth season, but there we are. We're still in the third season and we have to deal with Pusher. Yeah, there's that cute moment at the beginning when he picks up like the Weekly World News and it has the creature from the host and I thought, "Okay, this is going to be a post Darren Morgan episode, you know, which is a little you know, wacky, and for the most part, uh, it's a fairly deadly serious episode. Deadly serious, I mean, to a like a literal degree, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, it, it know... could use a little more character like that. I, I, I think, I think that's primarily the point. I think you just, you just really put the nail on the head there, which is that this episode doesn't really have much character, um, and and certainly it's better than Tesos dos Bichos, which we'll talk about in a few <laughs> minutes, but, um. Yeah, it just it it feels very uh it feels very aimless and it feels very um sort of flat in a way that that a lot of good X-Files episodes don't. I mean, 
there there are only a couple of jokes in this episode. I, I don't necessarily think that they're even that funny. Uh, and the scientific nature of the whammy, which you know is the best line, which is ninety percent Gillian Anderson. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a fine line, but Gillian Anderson really, I mean, her line delivery there is excellent. Um, but yeah, it's just like I don't, you know, it takes this character of of pusher. Um, you know, pretty seriously, it, it goes into exactly sort of, I don't know, it tries to give a characterization for this guy, but it, it kind of fails. And like, I just don't know what this episode is, is trying to do. Like the ending particularly makes no sense to me mm-hmm. where, yeah, I, yes, he's controlling Mulder, but why does it end there and why does Scully go into that room knowing that this is the case and why does Mulder agree to even do this? I just, I don't, you know, there's, there's a point to which like I watch this episode, you pick up very quickly what's going on. And I think to myself, okay, well when they arrest this guy, they need to quickly gag him and like give him a tranquilizer. So he's unconscious. So he doesn't do this. And Maybe there are Miranda things with that that I'm not aware of, but but Silence seemed... of the Lambs got away with it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it just it's bizarre, and I also think that his like powers of suggestion are uh, a little ill defined. Well, you know what? My big problem with it is that Mulder isn't this big rival that he's searching for. Skinner is, and the episode is not interested in Skinner, right? Like. The only person who's really able to resist this guy is Skinner in that one scene where he's totally badass. And, you know, I really that's the scene I like the most. And I figured what was going to be is is Pusher kind of teasing Mulder and getting into Mulder's thoughts that and here we go into Gilligan wanting to make something about the structure of the X-Files. He kind of tricks Mulder into believing, well, I'm the main character, I'm his rival, but it's really Skinner that he's after as the actual rival, as the only one who's able to resist him. That would have been for a more interesting episode, but the episode forgets Skinner's involved after that scene. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really right. And I, I actually think that that's probably the part of the episode that that shines the most. Like that entire sequence of Pusher getting into the, the FBI headquarters, going into yeah. that room, and and then Skinner essentially being able to to talk him down and, and not be affected by him at all. You're right. Like that's the part of the episode that seems to me to be the most engaged with itself. And I, I fundamentally don't know why Pusher is so obsessed with Mulder. It seems like once again, that he's obsessed with Mulder because Mulder is one of the main characters of the show. Yeah. But you're right. Like he would be more obsessed with Skinner because Skinner is the only person that we've seen that can actually withstand his abilities yeah it's not clear whether or not scully is but i don't think that he ever tries on scully and you know at the beginning with frank burst i mean it's possible that he can only really work it on one person at a time or something but i mean i like the core of the episode as the jedi mind trick done by a villain as a horror story but um yeah it's I don't buy that this guy's been a hitman. I don't think how would he become a hitman in this way, you know? It, 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 if he really is so um, motivated by his own insecurities, it doesn't seem like being a professional killer is what he would have done. I mean, you use this for petty revenge, don't you? I mean, that's what somebody who is truly small and insecure would be doing. 
Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point as well, because that's the other part of the episode that that (laughs) fundamentally doesn't make any sense to me is this whole, you know, we we forget that Mulder got his start by by being a genius uh, profiler for the FBI. And obviously profiling is something that is very, very um, you need to understand the human psyche and psychology and and, and all these kind of things. And so Mulder has a good understanding of, of psychology and the human psyche and how people react to things and all that kind of stuff. And then he gets this weird theory about Pusher being a small man and this made him feel big. And I, that brings false to me. I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, and you're right, like, if he was a small man that got this power, he's not going to suddenly decide to be a hitman. That is very strange. He would... Living in a shitty apartment. <laughs> a shitty apartment that's also huge, by the way. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Like, it doesn't, you know, he would be doing things like cutting in line at the grocery store. He's not going to be uh, 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 killing people for money. I, I don't... Yeah, I don't get it. Like, there's this kind of concept here, which is that this guy is obsessed with uh, the sort of, like, Japanese ninja culture or something. Uh, I don't know how well thought out or how well researched any of that is. Well, the fact that they forget about that about 10 minutes in the episode suggests how well thought out and researched it was. I think that's a good point. Like, yeah, it just seems to me that this episode has a lot of interesting ideas that it never really engages with and never really goes anywhere with and and just kind of goes, all right, well, um, that was 10 minutes ago. That didn't really work. So we're going to go here instead. And once again, charitably speaking, like, I think you could look at this episode as Vince Gilligan's attempt to make a commentary on the structure of an X-Files episode. But he's not doing that because he's playing this very straight. Well, Here's the thing. Darren Morgan makes fun of the X-Files because it's kind of his little brother and he loves it. And, you know, which is, again, why Chris Carter has in some of his episodes taken some of those techniques, ideas and run and run with it because he can very obviously see the affection behind them. I don't think Vince Gilligan loves the X-Files yet. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's certainly a case to be made for that. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if he was on staff yet. Obviously, I mean, yeah. someone who wrote one episode at the end of the second season and then didn't write another episode until almost the end of the third season a, a year later. Um, uh, he's not very engaged with the X Files at this point, so that certainly could be the case that that he uh, he maybe he doesn't understand the show as much as he thinks he does. Also, hmm. that might be part of it because I think the other the other thing about it is that. I don't I don't really get a sense that Mulder and Scully feel like themselves in this episode. And that partially could be a commentary on the abilities of Pusher. But again, I'm just sort of I'm spitballing. I'm I'm trying to fit the incongruities of this episode into its themes and into what it's about. And in the best episodes of the X-Files, I don't have to do that because it all works. And for me, I think that for me to believe that that then i have to believe that the two of them are under the influence of this guy for the entire time again i think it's more interesting when you have him manipulating Mulder into thinking that he's the hero because then you have manipulations that aren't done with psychic abilities and that is much more interesting you know when you have yeah when you have this push which can you know bring it over the edge Yes, that's what gets the sci-fi element. That's what makes it, you know, truly a horror episode. But when you have it based on something which 
real people in real life do, you know, where there are people who are able to non-psychically manipulate other people or influence other people, then you get some grounding and some actual resonances. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Because I, I again, I mean, I think that that one of the things that, and I think you see this in Soft Light as well, and I think you're seeing this a little bit in the third season. Which, and that, I didn't really like Soft Light. I, you know, it, it was right. Like, yeah, like I think Soft Light was fine, but I think both of us were kind of like, it's fine, right? Like, it was the Tony Shalhoub episode. That's about all Soft Light was to me. But again, yeah, Soft Light kind of ended. Like it just stopped. It didn't really have an ending. Um, that the X-Files is becoming increasingly interested in the internal lives and, and sort of the lives in general of, of the monsters of the week. And I think you're seeing that a lot in this season. I think you see that in a lot of these episodes and, you know, not, not to put uh, too, too many spoilers on it, but this isn't really a spoiler, but that is uh, one of the areas of the show in which Vince Gilligan, I think he gets very good at doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think you probably can pick up on that from from having experience watching Breaking Bad as well, that that would probably be something he's good at as a writer and really, really getting into the heads of really bad people. Um, Who can justify their actions 100 percent and don't think I mean, yeah, the the reason Walter White is such a singular character is because he's a monster who thinks he's a hero. This is this guy wants to be a monster who thinks he's a hero, but. I think this guy thinks he's still a bit of an asshole, too. Yeah, and I just, I don't know that, I I get the sense in this episode that Vince Gilligan hasn't really figured out Pusher. Hmm. You know, I I think he's tried, and I think we do spend, we certainly spend more time with Pusher than we would have if this had been a first season episode, right? I mean, there's not a ton of investigation going on in this episode. Certainly not um, as much as something like Teso dos Bichos. But uh, it is the case that this episode is is really constructed around these sort of memorable scenes or memorable set pieces of Pusher doing these horrible things. You know, you get the first, you know, the cold open of the episode is Pusher convincing the the police officer to, to drive out and mm-hmm. be struck by the truck. You know, we also get the one where he convinces the guy to light himself on fire and gasoline. Yeah. Um, you know, we get the very intense scene with Skinner in the, the middle of the episode. And, and the episode also ends on one of the, well, the heart attack scene, right? And then also the, um, the very end of the episode where, you know, he's forcing Mulder to play Russian roulette with him. These are all very memorable set pieces and memorable scenes, but what is the the what's holding them together is is tissue paper. There, yeah. There's not a lot of 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 coherence to it, and I, I think that's really the problem with the episode is that it's it's much more focused on the 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 individual scenes than it is about making them work as an episode of television. Yeah, and as you said, you know, it doesn't. F- it really doesn't feel petty enough. As you said, you know, I want to see him cutting in line in the grocery store. I want to see him going to a restaurant and, oh, you don't have to pay. I want to see, you know, women giving him their phone number even though don't they don't want to. I mean, like, I want to see the everyday shit that's the real problem with this guy because, you know, being <laughs> – frankly, being a hitman, whatever, that's so out there that, you know, that's, that's this weird world of organized crime that, you know, Vince Gilligan, you know – is interested in and fine but i want to see this doing damage in the real world that's just him being a shitty petty person 
If, yeah, if, cutting if, people off in traffic. Yeah. You know, whatever. I mean, it could be anything, really. And I think that would have been a much more interesting episode, frankly, right? Like, you know, the question of, okay, here's a guy who's using this bizarre power for, for you know, bad aims, but, you know, he's not doing anything that terrible. Uh, why are Mulder and Scully so invested in bringing this guy down? Well, because Mulder is obsessed with this sort of thing or whatever. But, yeah, it's just it feels like it feels like an exercise in, in fantasy that that would not be true to what this character is doing. Yeah. I do want to mention that there's a couple things in the episode that I, I really like. Number one is uh, the, the grocery store at the very beginning of the episode is named Mount Foodmore. <laughs> um, I I don't know why, but I, I generally love scenes in, of television or movies set in grocery stores. Yeah. I think because there there's such a... The grocery store is one of those, like, you know, I don't know what you would call it. As mundane as you can get, really? Yeah, it's mundane. It's sort of this limbic place. It's it's very uh, uh, surreal, in a sense, with the Muzak, and, and everything is very, like, organized. And it's just a very, very visual. And the supermarket is very visual, right? It just looks very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I just love the concept of that. I love the name of it. And I love the way the episode starts. Uh, and I also do want to say that, um, you know, for, for all the weaknesses that this episode has... I I do think you can see why Vince Gilligan became a successful X-Files writer because he is really good at those big set piece moments. I mean, that scene where Pusher talks uh, uh, the officer into having a heart attack and dying is is profoundly disturbing. And, you know, I think it, it, it tries to go that that's the scene that tries to make us convinced that Mulder would be this guy's nemesis because Mulder is essentially the one that is trying to stop this and everyone else is, is yeah. not stopping him, I guess, because Pusher is controlling them. I don't, I don't know. So that, that to me is also like the, the, the key scene of the episode and, and one in which it maybe almost convinces me, but just doesn't quite do it. Yeah. And that scene, it honestly, to me, wasn't clear. It, I mean, cause he keeps saying, you know, no, finish the trace, finish the trace. And, you know, are they just following the orders? And he is, you know, Burst is sacrificing himself just to get this guy. But, I mean, as Pusher immediately makes it clear, you know, you know this is a payphone. This is nothing. You know? Right. And that and that's the thing, though, is like, I mean, you know, to, to, get, to get back to your point about Pusher doing small things instead of big things. Like, obviously, the, the whole idea of Pusher being a small man and being able to control people, uh, even to the point that he's able to, to make themselves have a, a massive heart attack yeah. and die. Um, I don't. I don't think he would be doing this. I mean, he doesn't Pusher doesn't seem like a homicidal maniac. Right? Well, like the not, guy is yeah. like it just it just, uh, you know, if this uh, yeah, obviously he wants to to be able to exert his will and he wants to be able to control people and he wants the power in life that he never had because he's a small man living in a crappy apartment with a terrible job and he's dying of a brain tumor and all this kind of stuff. Right. But to jump to murder, I'm in, like, yeah. I think. I think that what it really gets down to is like Vince Gilligan has a very, very uh, negative, a very negative opinion of humans, <laughs> of like the the human animal. And I don't. So I don't think that the average person is going to jump to being a mass murderer. Well, you know, there is this 
I'm thinking going back to Plato's Republic, there is the myth of the Ring of Gyges, which is this, you know, somebody finds a ring that turns him invisible, and at first he's doing little things, and he ends up, you know, killing the king and raping his wife and all of that because, you know, and it's the power corrupting. And I'm interested in the evolution of Pusher going from somebody who discovers he has this ability, and again, at first he's, you know, cutting in line at the grocery store, and he's, you know ask you know get, getting stuff for free and you know little things and how that would evolve eventually to this is enough i need to i need it to be bigger i need it to be bigger and yes i can see him eventually getting to a point of murder but i'm interested in that evolution um yeah and again gilligan with breaking bad will you know do a series long evolution of that kind of a character a much more re- you know quote-unquote realistic and mundane a non-supernatural version of that and i we are seeing baby Vince Gilligan, right? I guess that's where we're at. We're seeing him not there yet, but having potential, and it will be. In- it's it's interesting to see him go from tiny petty things to something that is, you know, one of the greatest shows of its decade. Considered. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. That's very I- meta of me. <laughs> and I guess the last thing to mention before we move on to to taste of those B shows is. Um, Mulder and Scully hold hands at the end of the episode. Aw. It's just, you know, I guess they're comforting each other because they just went through a terrible experience. But it also, I think, was a winking nod to all of the shippers of Mulder and Scully out there because yeah. Mulder and Scully shipping in the 90s on the internet was huge. So, Well, you know, for me, I think of them as a brother and sisterly unit in many ways and... You know, a, a partnership of equals rather than a rem, relate a, a romantic thing. But obviously, Gilligan is on the romantic side, or is he? <gasps> all right. Well, let's talk about Tasis Dos Bichos. But before we do that, I just want to take a quick moment to remind all of you, the listeners, of tuning in, that this podcast and our other podcasts, Truck About, are both listener supported. If you would like to give us a little bit of your hard-earned money, please go over to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Your support is very, very appreciated um, and uh, enables us to do things like our Star Trek Discovery coverage, which is currently going on. Uh, We released the episode this week on Star Trek Discovery's sixth episode out of the first eight in this half of the first season of Star Trek Discovery. So uh, please do go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. So as we were about to start recording today, uh, you know, I looked and I saw Pusher and then I I got this mild panic attack because, oh, fuck, I forgot to watch the second episode. I don't remember it at all. And then I remembered, oh, Teso dos bichos. Okay, yes, I did watch this one. I don't really have a strong impression of it. And it was really fucking boring. How is this episode so boring? It's really boring. (laughs) Uh, apparently this is, and this was, and I mean, I, well, maybe it still is. I don't know. Cause the X-Files is back in production. I don't know how, but it is, uh, <laughs> that, that it was like an infamous episode and that they like hated it and hated doing it. And it was, it's widely viewed as one of the worst episodes of the show of all time. Uh, it's, I don't necessarily see that. It's I not interesting that, enough to be that bad. Right. Like it's just. I the, the there there is a there you know this is something that we say a lot in in on truck about the sister podcast I guess of tuning in um that Star Trek at a certain point the Star Trek franchise on a technical and storytelling level 
got competent enough that even a bad episode like just kind of had a baseline level of quality because they had been doing it for so long. And I think this is the case with this episode where it's a bad script. It's a bad concept. Uh, it No one seems like they're having a good time with this episode, but it's constructed well enough and it's competently done enough because they are doing this for so long now that they can pull it off. I mean, if they had tried to do this episode in the first season, I think we would have gotten uh, uh, a... Um, what was that episode with like the ghost in space? Space. Oh, space. I think we would have gotten that kind of episode. Yeah. Because yeah, I think space is much worse than this episode. But, but here's the thing. If I have the choice between watching space and watching this again, I'm going to watch space because at least that was just so bad. It was funny. Right. Because it was so bad. It was, it was interesting to watch. <laughs> like this episode has no reason to exist really. And... What's worse, the resolution of the episode appears to be that they're like it's evil cats. demonic cats that are ca- <laughs> like. I don't, I don't know. No. Like, I'm not a fan of cats. They're fine, but I don't get them. So this would be right up my alley, I guess. But I don't get it. Why did they think this was a good idea? Because whoever wrote this on Night of the Lepus as a kid and just was traumatized by it and needed to put their own stamp on it. Um, I guess my big question about this, and I have a very big plot hole type question, which I think is indicative of a lot of things. So at the very beginning, you have this one guy who, you know, they get the air and he's like, we've got to take this back to the States and nobody else wants to take it. And he dies. Why do they still take it back? Why don't they just bury it and pretend they never found it? Um, yes, I, I, you, you are correct. Honestly, and, uh, th- that was the question I asked this entire time of it, and I never got an answer. So why did this episode happen? I suppose maybe we're supposed to believe that it was already packed and shipped. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there are ways around it. I guess you can, you know, fan it in a way, but... Uh, I don't know that I want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like a matter of just a few hours, and they're at a remote dig site. So, you know, yes, they could have packed it up, but, you know, once the guy dies, then, you know, you quickly rebury it. Again, I don't... Right, and, like, what what was he supposed to be killed by? I mean, because... A cat! Right, but where did the cat come from? I don't don't know, because in the... I'm I'm having trouble, Richard. Yeah. Like, in the... In the museum there were apparently like hundreds of evil cats that were just attacking people and scully got attacked by one of the cats and that was probably not fun uh although fun fact uh uh, jillian anderson is is very allergic to cats and so they they constructed a a cat puppet (laughs) uh, uh, out of out of rabbit fur (laughs) so there you go uh someone did that and got paid for it but um like why are they like what are we like i don't get it like what are we supposed like i don't know it's just i'm I'm, i feel like i'm being defeated by this episode because i just don't know what is even going on like it doesn't make any sense so two episodes that i am thinking about are shapes and dehonda verletzt which were both bad episodes in their way but 
shapes at least tried to vaguely be about the culture in some way. It totally fucking failed at that, but at least tried to give a sense of that. And the Honda for Let's was ridiculous, but went with it in a camp direction, which was at least sure. funny. This is neither. I mean, this museum in no way feels like a place. This should be this. You you tell me there's a haunted museum. I want scenes of being characters being stalked around the exhibits, and you know, oh oh no, that's just the exhibit. You know, it's not a monster. Oh, it's a monster. You know, we see it for ten seconds, and we see an office, and then this gigantic sewer system that's running behind it. I mean, this is the this is the world that it's in, and it's a very boring series of settings. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to is it is a very boring series of scenes where it's just like the the plot lurches from scene to scene with no real, uh, you know, tissue paper construct like holding it together at all. And and there's this I mean, I will say one of the things that that is relatively decent about this episode and and i i say relatively because we're talking about yeah uh, uh you know you, you take what you can get right um shapes was a problem primarily because the the sort of native american indian stuff was was sort of perfunctorily done and there was no real attempt made to uh, uh conform to the real uh, uh, culture uh, or sociological implications of any of this, right? It was just kind of like this vague Native yeah. Americanness that annoys me, right? And I think that we talked about that a lot with shapes. Um, and then they they definitely move away from that, and I think the show does a pretty good job of kind of this, the whole Anasazi stuff yeah. in the beginning of the second season and, and and the beginning of the third season, or the end of the second season and beginning of the third season. And and now we get another episode. I don't know if this is a real tribe. I don't know what indications there are that any of this is actually real or anything. But there is an attempt made at least to indicate that this is a specific tribe with a specific set of beliefs. You know, I, I appreciate that, at least, that the episode and the writer of this episode, John Sheban, seem to understand that it is at least necessary to make it appear that this could be a real thing yes even and even if it's an invented one which is kind of syncretic from a bunch of different uh traditions it is also trying to be about something in that you know you have this you know you have archaeology which is trying to take you know, relics from certain places for study and bring them into, you know, and it is the right of the people whose land it is to decide what to do with their remains, not some dude at a call, you know, at a museum, but, you know, that also may be a cursory theme, too. I, I well, I think all the themes are cursory. I, yeah. I, I don't think that any of them are given any sort of weight. And I I honestly think that the, you could have made this episode redeemable if if they had figured out what they wanted to do with it and give it a core like obviously the episode is interested in this idea of you know uh, artifacts being being stolen and and going to to western countries this is something that is yeah. uh, you know sort of becoming viewed as as a real problem um and this whatever the doctor's name at the beginning of the episode the guy who increasingly becomes ill because he's um uh, he's ingesting uh, yahe, which is like a, I think it's um, supposed to be uh, ayahuasca or something. Yeah, 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 some kind of um, that. You know, he is. 
sympathizing with the tribe, obviously, and uh, this is not a good thing that this uh, object was was taken. Um, but he's not really given anything else to do. And then we get this character of, again, sort of the white savior character of the woman who is kind of trying to help him and trying to walk a fine line between the the old white dude who's telling her, hey, you know, don't get involved in the politics of this because uh, uh, you need to keep your eye on the prize that we're helping to preserve this stuff. And don't get involved in the politics. You have to get involved in the politics instead. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? And, and I think that the episode, at least in that scene, re- recognizes that that's kind of a bullshit argument. But but then he gets killed by cats. Um, so it, it's this thing where it's got this very serious political argument that it's trying to make. But the episode is essentially ridiculous because it's about how people are being murdered by cats. So I, I I don't know why they thought this was going to work at all. And the situation is also muddied by the fact that this isn't just a random archaeological dig. They It's said that they are specifically doing this dig at this period of time because they're putting some kind of a pipeline through the area and... You know, at the beginning, the guy's saying, oh, no, I'm saving this relic. You know, it's going to be destroyed. You know, they're not going to. And there is a very tiny, vague point in that, yes, the people who are drilling the pipeline would just destroy the sir, and he's at least preserving it. They sure. are, you know, they are at least trying to do some kind of. But there is no middle ground. It's not like anybody saying, well, this, you know, it maybe it does belong preserved in a museum, but in its own country. And yes, maybe that is a fair thing to say. Again, this these are. This is a situation that I have no real understanding or knowledge or, you know, wait to get into. But at the same time, I'm not the one writing and writing an episode about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's a good point. Like there is a degree to which if you are going to write this kind of episode, it is incumbent on you to, mm. to do the research and to have a come point of view with. Yeah, to come up with a point of view, honestly, like there there really is no point of view in this episode. And. It's using the the real issues involved in in taking artifacts and and and, and you know uh, moving them to to museums in Western countries as a plot line for killer cats. And I I, I keep mentioning the killer cats, <laughs> but I just have to because it is so fundamentally ridiculous. And yeah. I don't know. Apparently, this episode was very troubled, and the writing of this episode was very troubled. I think you can obviously see that. Um, I mean, this is another episode where Mulder and Scully don't really do anything. Uh, they're just kind of there for various reasons because they're in the opening credits and they have to be. Um, and, and, yeah, they, they do some things. I mean, they figure out that the – you know, the, it, Scully has a good line where she tells the guy to bag up the rat parts and he says, what am I supposed to call it? And she says something like, well, random rat parts. <laughs> and like, just be very literal about it. Um but it's just i don't know why this is the thing that they do with this like yeah there's this repeated line throughout you know just go with it scully anytime that you know something ridiculous is happening which is a line that i like but number one it has to be in this episode it couldn't have been a line in a better episode um and again that does though seem like a very post darren morgan attempt uh I guess these episode these two episodes are showing how hard it is to be Darren Morgan by the way but um yeah that is true I can also picture that being something that they kind of said to each other you know 
out of character like what the fuck are we dealing we're right this is the episode i just just go with it uh jillian we you know it's just we'll collect our paycheck we'll be done whatever just you know in a week we're never gonna have to deal with this episode again and we'll film something else yeah because it just it just feels like they're wandering from scene to scene because they're in the episode and there's no real thought given to what they would be doing and yes of course scully does some things she uh does an autopsy on on one of the victims and you know finds the uh fact that he ate sunflower seeds and gets a nice little you know reaction line from Mulder. um you know the dog gets murdered and that's very sad um sugar but... which is the best dog's name if you think about it oh sugar was so good she's a she's a heckin good dog as the kids oh um but yeah, I don't know. Like fundamentally speaking, why this episode exists, and I know why it exists because they had to make twenty-four episodes of television, and all of them are going to be clunkers. Not, they can't all be winners. But yeah, it's just it's a mess. It's I mean, an here, absolute mess. Here's my other question: They're not even bothering to care why Scully and Mulder are on this case anymore, are they? It's just you know. Pick a location in the country, pick a kind of monster, and just slap Mulder and Scully around, right? I mean, right. At, at least Pusher took place in Virginia, just outside of D.C. Yeah, where does this take place? Boston or something? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right? I mean, I mean, they're there. They're in the episode, so they have to be. I mean, that's really, you know, it, it's, yeah. at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. I, I guess it just smacks of a kind of carelessness, you know? Yeah, that's really yeah. There's a lot. There's a lack of care to this episode that is alarming because I think that you know we're getting towards the end of the third season of the X Files, and I think on the whole this has been a very strong season of television, uh, and I think the show has figured out what it is good at and what it wants to do and what it is trying to say and where it is going. Um, you know, we have three uh, three podcasts left on the third season, uh, six episodes left. And, uh, you know, the rest of the season, uh, aside from perhaps one episode, is uh, very good. But, yeah, I mean, it, you know, they're, they're going to have missteps. And in a season of television like yeah. this, I think that this episode just comes across as more of a misstep than maybe it is because it's coming at such a really, really strong point in the show. And I don't know. I, it's funny because we I think we've talked about this before where this tends to happen um, at this period in in seasons. You know, yeah. the writers are tired and they just they got to get this done. And so they they kind of come up with these plots and they don't do as much work on this or they don't do as many rewrites or the rewrites are not as good or whatever that, you know, the, their their a staff is on you know, breaking the stories for the rest of the season because they want to finish the season strong. I don't know, but it is the case that this kind of thing happens at this point in television seasons. And, you know, it, it it's just a reminder once again that doing this many episodes of television a season is extraordinarily difficult. And, you know, the fact that the X-Files was, was batting so high in the third season yeah. Uh, is is really a miracle in some in some respects no and i mean it, it does indicate that people were watching tv differently because i mean i assume that this you know x files was just on this week but for um the past couple episodes we had the big um the big meta plot ones i assume that's when they were advertising you know this week's x files is not to be mixed and you know missed and you know taking big and they're gonna find something out about the aliens and a horrifying new mo and this one is just 
you know, they'll put on a commercial and maybe a little TV guide ad or something like that. Like, they're just going to, you know, it's odd, you know, so if you miss it, it's you, okay. I mean, but, where, where nowadays you are expected to watch every episode of a series. Very, very true. But but don't you think that this episode, if they had leaned very heavily into uh, the actual ridiculousness of this, that maybe it would have been a good uh, marketing technique? Like, but there wasn't don't enough. Don't miss the X Files this week because Mulder and Scully are attacked by cats. <laughs> <laughs> I don't but know. again, if they had leaned into the camp of the episode, I would have respected this more. If they had realized that this was a ridiculous, silly episode and just gone full. Full, full, full feline with it. It would have been a better episode. Because I mean, yeah. the really the scene that I loved at the end is when the cats are scratching through the door, and it was hilarious. And you know, they're running from cats, and that was great. And it's you know five minutes out of the entire episode, which I was just kind of dutifully watching. And it could have been scary. I mean, like that's the thing. I cats are kind of freaky, you know. Like I don't necessarily think that I would want to be in a room full no. of hundreds of cats. Right. And and that could it like you could have played that straight as well. And I mean, while well, they did play it straight, but like you could have played it straight and actually done a good job of it. Like this episode fundamentally comes down to, a, a you know, a tonal uh, inconsistency. And I mean, come on. The end of the episode is the tribesmen doing that ritual over the returned artifact and his fucking eyes are cat eyes like. Oh my god, I forgot about that! Like, what is that supposed to even mean? <laughs> that right? he's a really like, big fan of Michael Jackson's thriller, obviously. Aren't we all? Yeah. Alright, I think that's yeah. Let's we'll just we'll just leave this out. Let's put this episode in the memory hole and, and forget it. Let's well, just existed. bury it back up until the pipeline destroys it. We're gonna be fine. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of The X-Files we just discussed, Pusher or Teso Dosby shows, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at tuninginshow.com. As I said earlier, Tuning In is listener supported. Please go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow to give now. It also supports our other podcast, Trekabout. We are currently in our Star Trek Discovery coverage, so please do go listen to that as well, trekaboutshow.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is there. Tuning In Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Tuning In. It is the best way for new people to find the show. All right, Richard, next week uh, is a pretty good week. It would have to be after this week. We've got uh, Hell Money and Jose Chung's from Outer Space. <gasps> I've been looking forward to that one. Mac, why do you...